Welcome to the Heroes of Reality podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome, young adventurers. Dylan here. And on today's podcast, we have two special guests, Marcus Howard and his daughter, Maddie. He is 14 years consecutive as strategic tactical experience with building startups in various industries, including gaming, news media, and restaurants. He specializes in identifying exponential growth opportunities, don't know if I can say that word, and converging trends in consumer markets. Also, he excels at creating and executing blue ocean strategies. He's a growth hacker, an innovator, a techie, and a leader. And I'm here to welcome Marcus Howard. Hey, hey Bill, how's it going, man? Very good, man. How are you two doing today? We're good, we're good. Maddie's up past the bedtime, but I don't think she's complaining. Yeah. At least not yet. All good. Well, I'll try not to bore her too much, you know? <laughs> hey guys, so um, I'd love to talk to you. I, I see that your middle name is eSports. So I would love to dive into um, what are your thoughts around eSports and, 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 and what do you think it really represents to the community as, as a whole? This is an unpopular opinion. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a, actually a very unpopular opinion, but I, I think that eSports is a bubble right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that doesn't mean that eSports aren't significant to the culture, mm-hmm. um, to the business ecosystem. Yes, that's a spitball, thank you. But the valuations are way out of whack. <laughs> Just like you saw with dot-com companies back in, you know, turn of the, the uh, century with year 2000, or millennium rather, year 2000. Just like you saw with the housing market before 20, uh, 2008, uh, Bitcoin three or four years ago. But that said, I think that it's going to fundamentally, long term, fundamentally evolve the entertainment industry. So um, music, um, film, sports, obviously, it's here to stay. But I, I do yeah. believe that the valuations are way out of whack and we're due for a correction. Mm. Mm. Now, do you think it's, I mean, if you look at it like what esports has been doing, I mean, it's pretty much taken over, say, Vegas and other forms of entertainment because a lot of the younger people, they don't want to go for, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the younger generation's version of baseball or, or mm-hmm. soccer or football. Um, so do you feel like the, the evaluations are out of, out of whack and this is kind of like the same bubble that like virtual rowdy went through where there was like this big rise? And then, like the, is it in the trough of disillusionment that phase right now? Do you think it's going to drop into that thing? And then, like, how do you think? How do you think the timeline is going to look like for the next couple of years with esports? Okay, let me answer that. But first, Maddie wants me to tell you about Blob Game. She's really oh, excited about it. Yeah. Can you Please. Tell, about Blob Game? No, tell me about the Blob Game. Oh, you don't want to tell them? No. Okay. Sounds like you're getting. Looks like you're getting sleepy. So yeah, I think we're getting in the trough of disillusionment. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I think COVID actually accelerated that. Look, she, yeah. she's, she's getting there. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. I think that it will evolve, it even especially kind of the gambling lottery space. I went yeah. to Vegas for the first time last year, um, early in the year for CES. You know, it was in Vegas. And all I saw were slot machines, you know, and uh, it just looked, the experience looked redundant and boring. But I think what eSports gives you is a combination of luck-based and skill-based games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's meditating. Okay. Okay. So, so the, the, the redundancy of the eSports games, or what you're saying is that 
the Vegas was very, very boring because it's using the same old tricks, the same old slot making mechanics and things like that. But right. young kids, they don't want to spend money to put a nickel in the machine. They want to, they want to compete. They want to use skills. They want to, you know, there it's so much more. If you compare like League of Legends, for example, to a slot machine, you know, it's just it's so different. Do you? I mean, do you? Do you feel like in terms of the betting areas when it comes to that? I mean, do you? How do you feel it's going to integrate with cryptocurrency or like what do you? How do you think it's going to affect the whole betting industry in terms of with esports? I see cryptocurrency already integrating into esports. There's a platform called eMarket.io that lets you do a number of things, including um, you know buy skins and bet them, engage them on games. Mm -hmm. And I think cryptocurrencies will give more value to things like skins, you know, characters, things that those digital assets. Mm -hmm. The same way you might have value in like a you know pencil for a car, right? It's just it's something you know for racing purposes. So it's it, it adds that extra value in and gives it more real world legitimacy for the gambling ecosystem. Yeah. yeah have, you, have you seen NFTs pop into the whole um, uh, esports space? I have. Actually, I, I describe it as two converging bubbles. NFTs are a bubble as well. It, it reminds me, again, I, I've been in the, the crypto, oh, sorry, crypto blockchain space um, since 2013, and there was a bubble for ICOs, initial coin offerings. That was where basically, just like you would go public on a Stock exchange, you do that with a cryptocurrency. And we're seeing that now with NFTs because so many people are trying to NFT this and NFT that. Like you can NFT a picture of this can, right? And then and then try to sell it for five hundred dollars. It's uh, I've seen two well known popular teams uh, go the NFT route so far, and mm -hmm. I don't think that's gonna end anytime soon. I so if we're looking at the NFT space, um it, it seems like the NFT is all around this kind of mock value of like, I'm looking, I'm looking to create these images and create a value in the ecosystem. How does, is there, do you feel like, do you feel like there is an opportunity for your uh, real value to come from the NFT in the crypto space or in, in the, and the esports space, or is it, is it all just all vaporware? Uh, well, I, to be fair, you know, the U S dollar is vaporware, right? We, we dropped the, the gold standard in 1971. So it's just a, it's a social contract that we give these sheets of paper or, or fabric any kind of actual value. Same thing with gold and diamonds. You know, there's diamonds. You can get diamonds and spades, right? But because of the perceived value, they're expensive. That said, I think well, NFTs, the best value, the most valuable NFTs will represent something in real life because people understand those, those paradigms. So, like, the, the reason that NBA Top Shot is doing well, so she wants me to tell you about the ball. It's one of the objects that you can turn into in the blob game. Okay, so the NBA Top Shot mirrors the traditional card trading uh, or trading card, you know, sports card trading market, memorabilia market. So yeah. that's why people can associate some kind of value to it. Whereas there's like no tangible relative value to Snoop Dogg selling like digital blunts, right? Mm -hmm. that now. He did it a couple weeks ago. So yeah. I think you'll start to see that across industries where people are tying them to real assets. I actually saw IBM announce they're doing NFTs for patents. Uh -uh, NFTs for patents. That has oh, real world value. Oh, wow. You can to that. You know, you can do that for business contracts, whatever. Those have value. But these other things, people are just trying to cash in on a trend. And yeah. I think a lot of people are going to get burned in the process. That makes a lot of sense. So then, and then... Talk to me a bit about your role in the whole esports uh, arena. Well, in in esports in general. 
what I'm trying to do is make esports sustainable. Again, you know, I believe it's a bubble. I think people are just cashing in on the hype. But right now, the revenue isn't sustainable. If you look at the top 10 esports companies, I don't think any of them are profitable. One of them, one or two of them might be. I even saw two weeks ago um, a, a very popular organization that owns an esports team, Enthusiast Gaming, was already listed on the stock exchange for Canada. They just recently listed on the NASDAQ. So they're required to publish their financials. And when you go and look at it, they've got like, they had a $22 million, no, sorry, what is it? $20, 30000000 million operating loss and like 22 out of $30 million of their, their long-term debt. They had a 20, $22 million balance on $30 million of debt. So if they're public and they can't figure it out, and these, yeah. these younger companies are operating at a massive loss and they can't figure it out, where's the ecosystem going? So what I'm doing is, is trying to bring in more players, more brands, more games, so that it can be as successful as the gaming industry. Because esports right now is a billion dollar market, but the gaming industry is a $175 billion market. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. So I mean, so it's, it's adding real value by bringing in real players into the, into the right. space. Nice. Do you do anything around um, virtual reality in esports at all? Have you looked at that at all, or is that or how, do you, how? What's your what, what's your relation and opinions about that? I'm trying to work on an augmented reality esports opportunity. Okay. I can't mention it in too much detail because every time I do that, my international—it's not even my business partners. It's, it's through another business partner. His international business partners get upset with me using those terms. Uh, and I'm trying not to sour the deal for him. So I'll just yeah. leave it at Yes, I am looking at some, some augmented reality esports opportunities, but unfortunately I can't talk about it in detail. That's fair. Yes, yeah. yeah the, the bleeding edge deals. Maybe we can talk about revisit it after it goes through. And, yeah, you know, yeah, we can have a follow-up episode yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's, that's awesome. So one of the things I saw that you were talking about that I noticed um, a little bit away from esports is you talked about Roblox being the future of education. Right, I saw a mentioning about that a bit. Um, do you want to talk to me a little bit about? Because not a lot of people that aren't uh, aren't uh, teenagers and younger know what Roblox is even, and what it means, and and the, the the actual size and scope of what it what it is. So, can you explain a little bit what your thoughts around that and being the future of education? Sure, and, and let me clarify. Uh, I, the person who wrote the article said that Roblox is the future of education. I believe that gaming is the future of education. I don't necessarily believe that Roblox as a company is, but oh. what they, they represent, creating gamified ecosystems and metaverses where you can teach content in a way that's more relevant to students, I think that is the future of education. Mm -hmm. uh, Microsoft you know, is getting there with Minecraft. Um, Roblox isn't quite there or even close. But I think that it, it makes sense if 97% of kids between the ages of 12 and 17 play video games, it, they would most relate to subjects being taught from the perspective of gaming and esports. Who's the 3% that doesn't play video games? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Maybe they don't have internet. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, okay, so uh, you're, I mean, education or entertainment and education seem to be coming together in, in one in one system. So that makes a lot of sense. What do you think is, in terms of on the path, what do you think are some of the roadblocks or, or guardians stopping the adoption of, of gaming being the, the next gen for education? I think it's an old philosophy. You know, when I was in the ninth grade, uh, my brother and I, we were in magnet school, and, and so the school required us to get TIA3 plus graphing calculators if we were taking pre-calculus. Or trigonometry leading up to pre-calculus and, and calculus in high school. And we learned that you could put video games on these things, basically turn it into a Game Boy. 
you know, Tetris and Mario, things like that. And we actually started building our own game. We were making a Zelda game on the calculator. And while we were at lunch, our trigonometry teacher deleted the games off the calculator because we had taught everyone else in class how to put games on their calculators and no one was listening to the teacher. <laughs> but you know what? That, that to me just sounds like market demand. That's, uh, that's what that is right there. The uh, true innovation. So you've, I mean, so you've been doing, that's technically code. Um, have you, have you, and you're, and you're still coding to these days? Is that, yeah? You, yeah, I've been a professional uh, software developer for about 15 years now. That's, that's awesome. What, what languages do you write in? Right now, Java, JavaScript. And, uh, I used to do a lot of Python, but my day job now is, is very Java heavy. So where before, the previous, I guess seven years ago, it was heavy JavaScript and Python, and now it's still JavaScript, but also Java instead of Python. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. yeah it's, it, a lot of times, especially, it's, it's great to learn languages and keep so sharp off to the, um, the company's <laughs> dime. Right, because it's a progress, you know, it's like, and then you kind of push them into areas like, oh, I want to learn Swift or whatever the thing might be. You can kind of move in that direction. That's great. Yeah. Is there, is, is there a, um, with, with that and, and all together, uh, have you seen good things around coding and gaming for kids? And speaking of that whole thing, is there, is there things about that that excites you? Yeah, the only thing I'm most excited about is a platform called Code Combat, C-O-D-E. C-O-M-B-A-T, um, and it's basically a video game where instead of you using a controller to move your character around and, and attack and cast spells, you have to type in lines of code. So it's like Dylan dot walk left, and you pass it the number five to make your character walk left five spaces. That's cool. I feel the need that someone's going to cheat and throw in macros in there. Some sort of like, you know, like just copy and paste all these commands in, you know, they can World of Warcraft style. That's cool. That's super cool. Man, I can... Yes, how can I help you? Mommy wants you to go to bed because it's nighttime. <laughs> Where are you guys calling in from? We're about an hour south of Tampa in Ellington. So, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, sorry. Tampa Bay. Okay, so, so you are a couple hours better. Yeah. I'm required to call it Tampa Bay now for the, the next sports season. <laughs> That's awesome, man. The uh, so with um what about like in terms of esports, like do you have a favorite esports game that you like to play or something that you're really excited about? The one I'm really excited about hasn't come out yet. It actually comes out four weeks from from this Friday, basically. Um, May 21st, it's called Knockout City. And it's it's essentially dodgeball mm. plus Street Fighter plus NBA Jam. Woo! That sounds it's cool. It's That's easy fun. to pick up. Yeah. You can play the game with only two buttons, but if you have in order to be competitive, you have to learn the entire controller. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. that means anybody can button mash on those two, but then if you want to level up your skills, you gotta you can expand outwards, which is great. Sometimes it gets really overwhelming. You know, to uh, try to show your grandma, you know, uh, World of Warcraft kind of button schemes or Call of Duty, they get overwhelmed. So, so then that's incredible. So is that is that on Steam or is that on what 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 what's that coming out on? It's all platforms. It's, all it's platforms. I think the purest form of crossplay that we've seen to date in the ecosystem. So it, you can get it on Steam. The 
uh, Epic Games Store, Nintendo mm-hmm. Switch, PlayStation 4 and 5, and Xbox One, S, and X. Dang, that's cool. Yeah. yeah that, that, it, the biggest thing about the one of the biggest challenges with the esports um, area is actually building a community, having enough players inside the ecosystem that you can actually create actual value. So, like, needing to launch from the whole area. Um, do you, I mean, do you have thoughts, especially being in the space, on, on how people that are creating esports games actually are able to build enough? of a community around a thing that it actually makes it valuable? Yeah, it, it, the answer is community, right? Um, you know, the, the ones that, that survive have strong communities, the ones that, that suffer have weak or toxic communities, and, and I've never really followed Overwatch, but from all of my friends who are heavy players in the space, that that's the general sentiment of Overwatch, is that it has a toxic community, and because of that, it's not the game it was three years ago. Mm. What do you think causes the whole toxic community thing? Internet anonymity doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's also the competitive scene, right? Because everybody wants to be the top player, um, and it's about the culture, right? It's, it's what you incentivize in the game determines what how people's behavior shift. <laughs> you want to know about the green jelly bean? When you feed it to the blob, he turns into basically a jack. Like yeah. a card jack, and you can lift objects and knock over objects with a card uh, That's cool. We're, get, we're getting announcer show notes from the, the Blob game on things that you can do with it. What is it called? The, the Boy in the Blob? Boy in his Blob. A Boy in his Blob, yeah. Yeah. We're having shameless we're, plug. <laughs> a shameless plug for the Boy in the Blob. Go out and buy it today. Nine ninety five in the store. Okay. Yeah, actually, you know, I haven't bought uh, a game in years. I now use uh, PlayStation Now, so I pay them $5 a month, and I get access to the entire library. That way, like, if I'm too busy, because I'm, I'm very busy, if I'm too busy to play a game, it's only 5 bucks. And if I only put in, like, five hours in a month, I only pay, you know, I pay 5 bucks. It feels, yeah. it doesn't feel like I, I cheated myself out of my own money. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good spend. Uh, we got John Watts here making comments in the system and asking any chance if we could link that article. John, what what article are you talking about? Are you talking about, do you know what article John's talking about? He's talking about edu- or robots and future education. If you give me a second, I'll go pull it up off of LinkedIn. Can I respond okay. to that in chat here? Um, you can, yeah, there's a chat down there. You can you can link it in there if you uh, copy and paste it over. Um, yeah, I'll copy and paste it over. Yeah, now, I'd love to dive into this um, and feel free to link that when you get a chance. And anybody that's listening, feel free to comment and we'll, we'll try to answer it the best of our ability. In, in terms of toxic cultures, what was that, darling? She wants a what? I can't hear her. picture? My picture? The one with the picture? Not the TV one with the light. The TV with the picture? I don't know what you're talking about, mate. It was like a robot. Yeah, the robot was, uh, and we played yesterday. When we played yesterday, yeah. uh, I'm not sure I follow you because whenever you say yesterday, uh, you may be talking about like three months ago or last year. Uh, okay, we can play it later. We can play it later. Okay. No, not the blog game. Not the blog game. Which one? Give me just a second. I'm gonna go put her down. I, I know mm-hmm. we're in the middle of a podcast. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll do a little monologue while you go and do that. Okay. In the meantime, here is the yeah. article. Cool. We'll put that okay. in there. Here we go. Perfect. Thanks, Marcus. Uh, 
Maddie, it was a pleasure, darling. Have a good night, okay? She reminds me of my niece. So I'm, I'm gonna run for a second. I'll be right back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll see you in a hot second. John, All I'm right. dropping this article in there for you. Um, let me know if you got that, John. I'm not too sure if you did or didn't. Um, I'm gonna throw that over to you. Mm -hmm. I think that's inside the Facebook. So, yeah, what we're talking about here is awesome, guys. This is actually a new linking feature. I don't do the chat too much through the system, so. If it works, give me thumbs up. Let me know that that's awesome. It looks like you got it, so that's great. Um, yeah, I mean, what's super interesting here in in the area of esports is this toxicity bit. Like toxicity is a is a big problem in the space. If you look, if you look at the whole gaming culture online, um, uh, someone who was a part of the podcast a little while ago, she said something to me that totally resonated. She said that game gamers are the new gangs. If you think about it, it's like, what were gangs? Gangs were, were groups of kids or people that had nothing else to do that were hanging out in the streets and they would just cause mayhem. Uh, that's not as prevalent now when kids can go online. So that whole same kind of like dominant chimpanzee destruction vibe thing that was going on in the streets is actually happening online. And so much like how kids when you send them to school or are being raised by other kids, when you send kids into the game centers, they actually get raised by other kids, which causes the whole gang-like vibe, this whole toxic vibe to happen inside these, these esports arenas. And so one of the things that I'm super interested in, and Marcus, I'd love you to kind of talk a little bit about this, is like, are there ways, is it possible to remove toxicity from games, is there a way to create a game that is both competitive and kind? Is that is that a possibility, or do you think it's like you have to create these cultures, or is is there something? How have you seen anybody that's been able to successfully do something like that? That's an interesting question. I have not seen it done perfectly yet. Um, the one that I've seen had the most success. She's back. Maddie, stop that! Stop! 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 It's too loud. Uh, had the most success is. Riot Games with League of Legends, they have a system, um, and they're actually on a podcast for NPR, How I Built This, where they talk about their system, basically whenever someone gets like reported for doing something um, uh, that has a negative impact on other players, you know, mm -hmm. swearing at them or, or, you know, derogatory terms, which I guess is also swearing, but just general bad behavior, uh, they get some kind of system notification that pops up and says, hey, this isn't something that you should be doing, it, it's, you know, it negatively impacts the community and based on that interview they said like the majority of people when they get that notification they stop exhibiting that particular negative behavior because they don't intend to be toxic they just some people are just doing it out of anger out of, out of the, the passion the, the intense emotion in the middle of the game you know you lose a game and it might be your fault you don't want to admit it's your fault so you blame someone else or it's someone else's legitimate fault Mm, yeah, yeah, that's a good move. I, I'll check out that podcast for sure. It's one of the things I'm super interested in um, because, like, I and don't necessarily believe that it has to be toxic. It just kind of evolved um, into this whole thing. I know, like, uh, like one of the OG original esports games back in the day was Doom, and uh, they kind of created a bit of a toxic culture where they would just talk smack on people as you play. But that was kind of their culture and that kind of spread. And I felt like that kind of created the genesis for this whole like toxicity. So um, uh, 
I'll check that. I'll check that out on that one. Are the are there other games that you've seen that you like their cultures or or thing or overall gaming things besides the mechanics that you actually enjoy? I haven't had time to play a lot of games. Again, you know, I, I work at nine to five jobs. My daughter, who's four, my son's two and a half. Uh, to, to take care of, and then you know, growing my company and my nonprofit. So I, I don't play a lot of games, and so I, I wish I had more experience to, to offer that to you, more insights there. But the only game that I've really played that I like so far is, is IRC, and, and it's it's culture, it's community, it's young. It's it's been through two betas. The game launches in four weeks, so hopefully they can get it right out the gate and and monitor it and nurture it. Yeah, yeah. So then we're. <laughs> Being a, stra- being a strategist in the space, do you have a framework or a process for, for looking at blue ocean opportunities? Is there, is there a way that you, you try to take complex data and make it more simple? Because really strategy is being able to kind of see. <laughs> John says he knows the feeling with having kids. That John, does your, does your kids do the same thing? Is that what's going on, bud? Yeah. John actually, run, John actually runs a VRcade over in the highlands of Scotland. So, oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah I've seen them. Uh, the uh, so check out his check out his check out his arcade. <laughs> uh, but yeah. with the, with blue ocean blue ocean opportunities like and things like that, like how do you how do you do you have a process or thought things around strategizing? Well, the first thing I did was I read the book called Blue Ocean Strategies. All right, so I didn't come up with that term, but there's a book uh, by I think some Harvard professors. Hey, I'm on a meeting. Can you see I'm in a meeting with John? Don't be rude. Um, so I, I read that book, and that helped me understand what blue oceans look like. But generally speaking, it's it's understanding where trends are going and forecast that trend out. For example, um, there are roughly seven, six or seven billion people around the world who have mobile devices, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the gaming industry is about three billion people. So you look at the gap there. Like naturally, the biggest gap will be getting more people who have access to the internet and games and, and apps via mobile devices into gaming. And, and that's why if you look at the trend, that's actually the biggest growth opportunity in, in the larger gaming industry, not just esports. Even before the pandemic hit, this, this was a year and a half, two years ago, it was projected by the end of 2021, 60% of the industry's revenue would be for mobile games. Stop it. That's hard for Go get some food. There's you have you listen, listen, maybe some oatmeal. There's still oatmeal on the table. Can you go get your oatmeal, please? No, you asked me to make you oatmeal that's on the table. Go get some oatmeal. I got a six year old niece, man. And I uh, I uh, I visited her for like a month and it was like I have a lot of respect for my brother and uh and uh and just the sheer patience. <laughs> that's <laughs> You love them. You love them. Mm-hmm. You, you yeah. get this like, like you're like, oh, but you're like, oh, I'm gonna miss you. And so, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna miss you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so much more because you get to come back later. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Um, so, so looking at that and looking at the size and the scope for what's coming up for esports, how do you like, like? What are there any new technologies, new things coming out that really excites you? That's going to merge in with things like esports um, that you're kind of you, you're positioning. I know you, you talked a little bit about augmented reality, but we can leave that off the table for known reasons. Is there, is there other ways? 
is there other technologies or uh, things on the horizon that that's exciting you about the whole esports industry? It, this isn't necessarily a, a technology so much as an opportunity, and I think it's bringing non-endemic brands into the space. So if you look at the top ten games for the last two years, esports, uh -huh. and this is by prize pool, not necessarily by by player count. Sixty percent of them were either had guns in them or were rated mature. So Call of Duty, Rainbow Six: The Siege, um, mm -hmm. Halo's not on that list, but Call of, not Call of Duty, CS:GO, things of that nature, and then correlate that with the amount of money being spent on millennial advertising for millennial and Gen Z and gaming is one point five billion dollars versus that same amount of money that that same spend for the TV market is sixty billion dollars. So wow. I, I think a blue ocean opportunity is that these brands don't want to be associated with the violence and guns of, of games like Mortal Kombat or, or Call of Duty. And not because violent games lead to school shootings and, and violence in real life. Actually, all the, the research suggests the other, the opposite, right? The other way. Suggests otherwise. But the perception is that violent games lead to violence in real life. So the, the major opportunity here is how do you get these brands that are apprehensive about being in gaming and esports into the space. Whoever figures that out is going to be the next Yahoo, you know, at the turn of the century. Got it. Why well, it's so funny because that was, that was going to be my next question: is how does how does the company position themselves um, for these? Uh, we'll call it family friendly brands. And and because you're right, I mean, there's since Doom. It's been guns and shotguns and 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 all that other stuff um, that you probably don't want to expose your kid to um, uh, for for you know obvious reasons. I don't think it's necessarily shootings and all that, but just like, just the priming of the brain. What do you like? Is is there a way that you a recommendation that you would give to people that are creating you know these types of games in order to position themselves best to to leverage this opportunity? I think. Look at past examples and, and just try to model off of what is family friendly. And, and, and a great example is actually like Nintendo, right? Nintendo made it very popular to have family friendly games. But you look at, for example, a huge hit last year was Among Us. It had 217 million installs last year during the pandemic. And one of those reasons was because it was on mobile, right? To go back to the mobile point. But the other reason was it was generally family friendly. Now, yes, you do kill each other, right? But it's not like it's not realistic violence like again like you see on call of duty or or csgo and in my opinion it actually mirrors a classic board game called clue oh you're right no please continue please continue though yeah no and, and so i think that there's a great like if you want to cheat cheat for amazing games like just go recreate a digital version of like all these old board games because That's parents will immediately get it like my my parents would immediately get it if, if that's a great way to, to to bring someone into the fold for like Among Us, you're like, hey, look, this is like Clue in space, you know, yeah. and, and that's and they're like, oh, oh I got it, uh, who did it? Yeah, right. that's that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, and Among Us is this it's it's this whole um kind of like social battle of wits where you're like it 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 feels very tribal, but there's a betrayer in the tribe, and then all the suspicion builds, and then you got to figure out who did what. Um, and, I, and I've I haven't played it as much. There's there it's it's a cool game. I just there's just something in me that doesn't want to be suspicious of my friends. 
You know what I'm saying? There's like this little thing, like, because I might be, I might take it a little too personal. Like, how dare you push me out of the mayor law? <laughs> yeah. That's cool. But you're right. There is a very much how, very much how Hollywood goes and takes old repurposed films and goes, you know what we need? You know, let's bring back Superman or Spider Man or any of those other things and, and bring it over again and again. Um, it looks like a cheat sheet would be a good trick to look at old successful board games. Are there, are there, let me ask you, do you, do you have, do you have old favorite board games that you used to play that you think is, is right for that kind of thing? Is there, I would say risk. Uh, and, and, and I have a love-hate relationship with, with risk because it takes like six hours to beat, right? It's just like, you have to, book an entire day to play that game. But the level of strategy is like, it's almost like chess. It's like Dungeons and Dragons plus chess. So, so then looking at that, what you might be able to do if you take a game like Risk, you might be able to do something where it's like, asynchronous at a time type of thing you make a move like like chess with your friends you wait you make a move that might be that might be the way to tackle that one because you're right that was it was more not a game of strategy but endurance are you willing to play the game long enough before you want to race yeah well another great example of of again family friendly that, that did it amazingly last year was fall guys right they basically took the Fortnite concept, which was obviously proven to be a success, and then they removed all the guns and violence out of that. But it's still basically a battle royale. And it exploded. And then they got a yep. card. Yep. 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 yep, yep, yep. They built it up. And with Fortnite, yeah, they, they built it up, and then, and then they made the mistake of trying to cut out Apple out of making money. And then, and then Apple straight shut them down hard. Not, yeah. only, not only that, Apple then was like, you know what might be a good idea? You know Epic Games? You know you guys made a thing called Unreal? We're going to try to not allow Unreal to go on any iOS platform. It's just like, that is, that is like, that was, that was a poke in the bear kind of move right there. And so that's a, that's a really interesting lesson. Do you? Do you feel like the ecosystem, like Apple, is always going to remain dominant like that? Or do you think they're going to continue on in that space? Or do you think we're going to be able to break away from those types of, like, you know, closed environmentals, you know, giving my cut? How do you how do you think that might play out? Uh, that's one of the things that got me really excited about blockchain was the ability to decentralize ecosystems from any one person or company or government, right? The, the, Mm. Problem is that Apple owns this closed ecosystem, so you have to play by their rules. Now, I'm not saying that, that Epic was in the right, right? They tried to basically skirt the rules or, or circumvent the rules. But if it was an open ecosystem, it would allow for more innovation. Closed ecosystems just deny innovation because you, there are limits to what you can and can't do. Yeah. The concept of what they were trying to introduce, I thought was clever, but it violated the terms and service. Yeah. NAC is, is clever, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, play that old game, Knack. That's one yeah. of the favorite. Oh, Knack. Love it. I, I thought you were talking about Knock from, was it Minecraft? He's, who, who, had, who had Minecraft originally? What's his name? The guy who created Minecraft? Uh, Notch. Notch, yeah. Notch. Yeah, Notch. Yeah. I was, I was like, it's clever. He sold, sold to Microsoft. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's like, that's a game, right? 
uh, that's another game that, that went from indie to mainstream, just like, again, Fall Guys and, and Among Us, all indie games. Yeah, I mean, there's still, I mean, all of my nieces and nephews play Minecraft. Like, it's just a thing, and, they're, and they range from, like, 18 to, like, 6. So it's like, you can you can see it's, uh, there's this interesting thing of, of world building that kids like to do, where it's like you kind of give them the sandbox of stuff. And it seemed like the closest one who does world building in esports was Fortnite. Is there another, is there an esports for Minecraft? Is there an esports for any of this, like, Roblox or any of that stuff? Is there... Do you know? I don't know. There's not like a major scene, but there are minor circuits, right? People will play like, because people, because you have that ability, I don't know why I'm feeding this lettuce. Uh, <laughs> you have that ability to create your own world. People will build up like these little like tower defense or king of the hill environments. And then once you have the space, you know, you set up your rules because people are able to like build their, their own worlds. They can code the rules in and then run these competitive games. So yes, there is a, a competitive circuit per se, but it's not something as, it's, you know, you don't have people competing for millions of dollars like you have, you know, Dota 2 or, or Fortnite. It, it's just a lot more um, robust system. Like, right, like, even, like, what's crazy to me is, like, I remember being a teenager going to, like, a Wizards Cafe playing CSGO, and it's still going on today. Like, it's, these things, these games, a lot of them have been around for a while that, it's they've, they've they've kind of just matured as we've gotten older, and so I could I could see why the the younger generations of those Minecrafty games it's not so popular. Um, it do you think there's I mean for for kids that want to get into like esports and things like that, what are the are there other opportunities besides just being an esports gamer that's like they can get into like is, is that the only path or is there other ways to really get involved in the whole ecosystem? So that's one of the other things that I do with my company is it's, it's pri primarily and predominantly education. And it's educating teachers and parents and students that competitive play and content creation are drops in the bucket to the career opportunities in the gaming esports industry. Just like esports is only half a percent of the larger gaming industry. There are over 100 career, STEAM career opportunities, everything from sales and marketing to health and wellness to software development to legal and accounting. Think of all the infrastructure that makes traditional sports work, right? Mm -hmm. You've got licensing and media rights and, and merchandising and the stadiums. And then add all the infrastructure that make video games work, which includes, you know, uh, audio engineering and, and level design and, and story, all those art pieces. Combine those together. And that's a real career, professional career opportunity in esports. Yeah. I mean, have you seen? Um, is there is there any groups? I've seen that there's esports for colleges. Like I've seen colleges like where they actually like will straight get on buses and and go to places and support and support the local things. Have you seen any like educational programs around esports for like colleges or other ways that like like uh, vocational vocational programs for esports at all? There are different groups spawning up around that. It's, you know, the ecosystems. Stop it! Stop that. It's called Scholastic Esports, and and the middle school and high school arena. There's a company called Generation Esports. They have a middle school esports league, MSEL, and a high school esports league, HSEL. And I think they're trying to get into the collegiate space, but uh, predominantly they're focused on K through 12. Then you have other companies like. Uh, Play Versus, which is also in the high school and collegiate space. 
and different organizations. Another one called Community. It's in the uh, higher ed space with four HBCUs historically, like colleges and universities. See, mm -hmm. you don't hurt yourself. Be careful. <laughs> I want to tell you three different groups. There's a there's a game on Steam called Who's Your Daddy, and the name of the game and the name of the game is actually a thing where you uh, you have a baby, a small child, and they run around and they try to murder themselves, and then you try to not have the baby die. So they run into the oven and you got to go save them, and they disappear and they go somewhere and they grab a fork and they try to run it in there and they do the whole thing, and uh, it's a it's a really fun fun game um, as you as you run around with each other. Uh, one of my best friends, his wife is just pregnant right now. He's about to have a baby. And as I see you, as you're saying, like, you're going to hurt yourself, that just triggered in my head. I don't know if you've, if you've seen it all on, on Steam. but I, I didn't play it, but I heard about it. I believe that's yeah. another indie game. Uh, and yeah. you know, that's that's one of the things I love about indie game developers is that they, they're focused more on niche, creative, novel experiences and less about mass market appeal. That's not something – and if it is from a triplet publisher, then I'll eat those words. But that's not the type of experience I would expect from – you know, a Microsoft or an EA or, you know, Nintendo. No, no, no. Uh, John called it a real world parenting simulator. Yes. Um, that is, that's pretty accurate, John. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's funny to see that. And it's just like, you, you know, it's, 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 and you're right. What's great about, you have the balance, right? You have the, 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 the wild, wild west indie developers in any of these, these gaming spaces. And then you have the AAA people. And so the, the, all the experimenting goes on with the niches. And then other people see it and go, hmm, how do I make that into a AAA title? And that seems to be the kind of like the 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 the, the way those things work. I, I swear Overworld has to be based off of another niche sports game of some kind coming out. I, I, I don't well, know. That, that's, that's where Fortnite came from, right? So I want to say it was DayZ. A DayZ mod created um, PUBG. And PUBG uh -huh. is from an indie studio called Blue Hole Studios in South uh -huh. Korea. South Korea went to Epic Games and said, hey, we want to make this kind of battle royale concept kind of like Hunger Games that supports 100 people, but your your Unreal Engine won't support that. So can you make like X, Y, Z, like a laundry list of changes? So Epic made those they, after they got paid, and they saw the success of, of uh, PUBG. I don't know if you know that Fortnite had another mode. Like we ever, back in the day, if you log in, it was like the tower defense mode that nobody played. That was no. the, first, the actual first game. It was like save the world or heroes, something or the other. Uh, but nobody was playing that game. So Epic Games lifted all the assets, the characters, the levels, like all the assets into this this gameplay experience. Stop, mate. This gameplay experience and created Fortnite. Wow. They never ended up giving away the tower defense for free. It's like nobody's playing this game. Just, and just make it free. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. That's... That's a Valve move, though. That's something that Valve would do. They, they, each each person's kind of got their principles that they live by, you know. Yeah. And so I yeah I, I could I could see why Epic wouldn't do that, but yeah, I, that's crazy. I mean, that, I mean that's that's the terrifying thing about being a, a a game creator in the space is that you make something that has value, and then the big guys come in, look at it, and go, great, you can't patent any of this, and then they make a just a gigantic, more polished version of it and push it out there. Um, there's no way to do you think that there's any ways in the future with blockchains and any of those things to be able to protect against stuff like that? Or is it always gonna be just the big the big fish or the small fish? I, I think the blockchain will allow you to see who created the IP first. Mm. But then there's always the question of like, what is defensible IP? Right? And and the the legal system has 
I guess <laughs> decided that gameplay mechanics can't be patented. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's funny because it, part of that came up in this. There was a large legal battle. I want to say Blue Hole Studios had a billion dollar lawsuit against Epic Games. But it turns out, I don't know if you know this, Epic Games and Blue Hole Studios are both portfolio companies for Tencent games. So this is just my personal theory. I imagine that Tencent saw what's happening. It's like, why are you wasting all of our money in this legal battle? And we don't both of you just like cut it out, settle it. And it coincidentally they settled. Maybe Tencent had a place in that, maybe they didn't, but for sure they settled. Yeah. Yeah, they came in and said, You see all of this? This is mine. What are you doing? Knock that off. Right. Exactly. <laughs> It's a good move. It's a good move. So then, what do you like in terms of you and 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 building out the 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 company that you're building out right now? What's your what's your really holy grail with this? What do you what would you like to see happen with what you're trying to build and 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 bring to the esports community? I don't know. Are you familiar with Gary? Sorry, Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary I, I I know him a bit. I don't know. I don't follow him a ton. So he's he's popular in the, the startup ecosystem, um, sports betting. He actually is a co-owner of a um, Call of Duty team up in Minnesota. He was famously quoted as saying he believes that every company should be a every business should be a media company that sells a particular product or service. So you should be a media brand and you sell beers or movie tickets or whatever. My team takes that philosophy further and says that every company should be every business should be a gaming company. Every every business should be a gaming company that sells a product or service, and you should be able to use video games to authentically engage your community the same way you would with social media or email. So what, what my vision is is to be able to empower businesses of any size to use games that are relevant to their product or service mm. to engage, monetize, and retain. Yeah, I see. Thank you for putting that new stuff everywhere. <laughs> to acquire, engage, retain, and monetize their communities. Hey, stop it. That's rude. Yeah. Yeah. So then it's 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 finding, and so it's not necessarily, they don't actually have to go and build the game, but they can go find like-minded people in the ecosystem, partner with them, and and, and really connect with them uh, through the power of gaming. The same way that's almost that there's kind of like uh, uh, brands are into the, the movie business now. And they, they they find they find the right movie business, uh, and they and they connect with you. This is the joys of parenting, my friend. <laughs> this is why this is unscripted, completely unscripted. Yeah, I, I enjoy myself. I, I think you know that companies don't have to be in the business of making their own game in order yeah. for them to leverage video games as an engagement Yeah. So then, so then it's it's it's. How would they? How do they go about finding and gaming? Or what, what? What do you think would be the steps and strategy? Is it? Is it? Is it reach out to you? Is it? Is it? Is it? <laughs> that is that shameless quote. That's the answer. And I, I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but my last business was a multimedia search engine exclusively for indie games. We built it to digitize word of mouth marketing to solve game discovery. Today, oh. it, game discovery is still the biggest problem and opportunity in the global gaming industry. And so I know for a fact, having been, you know, boots on the ground working in the trenches with these indie developers and, and micro influencers, that nobody knows how to find the next game. Like we created a, a algorithm, if you will, it wasn't digital, but like a workflow to identify them consistently. 
But mm-hmm. the average business and person and business executive, you know, small, medium business, large business can't do that because there are 1.3 million video games in the industry. Wow. I did not know that. Uh, so then it's just, it's just finding a way uh, either through uh, certain search engines or, or your your offers to really just connect and rate these make these win-win scenarios. Do you have any Do you have any use cases? Do you have any examples of either other uh, brands partnering externally from you or with you in general, and what the results were from being able to actually connect with their audience? I, our textbook example and my favorite is Dead Cells. Are you familiar with Dead Cells? Stop that. Stop. Dead Cells, I'm not familiar with Dead Cells. Dead Cells, Dead Cells won the 2018 Action Game of the Year Award at the Game Awards. It's from an indie, or formerly indie developer in France called Motion Twin. Uh-huh. My brother and I discovered them around 2015, 2016, early 2016, and, and mid-2016. Stop it, that's rude. Okay, go play with the sparkles over there on the couch. It's so fun. I bet you have so much fun. Go make a, can you make a, uh, couch pillow tent? Go make Power. a pillow. A fort. Can you make a pillow fort? No, I tried. Uh, good, so, good. Uh, we discovered them in 2016, supported their early access launch. They actually wrote a letter of recommendation thanking us for our support and, and identifying us as a, a value partner for any indie studio looking to make a splash in the industry. And then they went on to win the Action Game of the Year Award two years later. They recently sold 5 million units worldwide. We don't take any credit for them making an amazing game or them getting the distribution, but we did help them at a critical point in their journey to rise above the noise. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, you look sparkly too. Please, can you go over there and play? <laughs> so you're. So the part is this: it's like you can make a great game. But getting discovered is a challenge. So finding finding the right people to promote you, to market you, to get that out there. It's not as it's it's a lot of people have the idea uh, in any space, any entrepreneurial startup space. If I build it, they will come, right? And that's the and really, it's the selling of the thing is more important than the thing itself, or at least getting eyeballs so that people can test and try to get that stuff out there. So, so do you have? Um, advice for indie game developers on ways to get more eyeballs? Is, is there any, any thoughts you had around that for, for people, the 1.8 million games that are out there on, on how on how to, to get to the top of the... Uh... Yeah, I, you know, aside from working with, with MetaArena, and we'd be glad to give them turnkey support for eSports so they can focus on their game and, and let us handle everything else on the eSports side, I would recommend going to micro-influencers, and that could be streamers or smaller publications. Because everybody's trapped for time, right? Um, if you, you get publications on three or four, or published on three or four smaller sites and with three or four smaller micro-influencers, then the person that step up above will start to see that, right? Because of all the activity it's getting. And then that's how, how your game gets picked up there, and it becomes kind of a snowball. So that's yeah. what we were able to do, was like build some key relationships in the indie space with smaller publications, and we built a community so that when we would share a game, the community would just spike it in visibility. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. You, you want to get that small domino to knock down the bigger domino and then to, to move down the steps from there. What do, you, what do you think are some of the more powerful platforms for community building um, for the game? Daddy, please. Stop yelling. What are the more powerful platforms for what? That. Yes, Maddie. How can I help you? I'm working. 
you're working. Okay, can you go work over there in the corner? You're really close to me right now, and everybody can hear you. We want you to keep working, but just go work over there. You're working. Okay, go ahead. Man, I uh, I remember visiting my niece and nephew uh, for the holiday season, and I'd have the door shut because I was trying to do work. And uh, my niece, she'd slide these notes in the door. And she's like, are you working, yes or no? I'm like, yes. And she goes, can you come out and play? I was like, no. And she goes, why not? And so we had these back and forth communications where I'm just sliding things underneath the door with her. And it was covered in sparkles and, and all that jazz. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I'm just getting hardcore flashbacks from the situation. Um, so yes, bringing it back in terms of uh, uh, things that people can do to, to really, oh, community platforms when it comes to connecting right now. What is, what is it, what do you think are some of the best platforms to create a community um, in the gaming space? I think Twitch, no, sorry, not Twitch. Well, Twitch, there are people who do that really well. Um, personally, Twitter was great for us. When we first started back in 2013, we were looking around the landscapes like, where can we start this? Because there were just two of us, my brother building the site and that he put a booger on me. Uh, and, and me putting, uh, building the community. So we looked at Facebook, but Facebook at that point had become so hyper-focused on monetizing businesses that if you couldn't pay to boost your posts, no one knew any of your content exists. And, and that's still the problem today. But at the time, and maybe Twitter has gotten worse about that, but at the time, you could get a lot of organic visibility. Stop it. That is rude. I said that was rude. You get a, a lot of visibility, organic visibility, on Twitter by just posting amazing content. So I think if you stay community focused and especially support other people in your community, then not only can you get a larger funnel of content to share, but if you're supporting them, you're building those relationships so they would hopefully support you in the future. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's funny because like a, a lot of things in like the online space, like people just want to come in and just get a ton of awareness, but unless you can really unless you really have got the relationships and you've built the value and you actually, cause it's a community of people. And if you just come in, it's like a, a drive by promotions, you know, it's like, Hey, buy my stuff. And you're like, what was that about? You know, that's, it seems very hard. So I feel like one thing that sounds like you're doing is that you you're building out the community now and you're building out the environmentals now. So instead of them focusing on that, that you kind of have these, what sounds like, and I'm correcting wrong, like these turnkey solutions to help with the, the community generation and the, and uh, in, the, in the ecosystem for the tournaments, is that correct? That, that's close to it. So we're bringing in these brands, right? Because we're yeah. creating these turnkey esports operations for brands as well, right? So they can just plug in their brand and start to activate their existing community. But because they're bringing their communities in, now we have an audience for these amazing games. So we can, and, and we're, as we continue to, to scale it, we'll create ways to integrate with other platforms so that that visibility that's on our platform leads into and integrates into other ecosystems. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the biggest mistakes that esports games make when they when they come to market? I think the focus on the hyper competitive side again is the biggest mistake in the ecosystem because it's naturally exclusive. Mm. So, and if you think about and and they're doing that because they don't really know any better. Because all of the major investors in esports right now are former, current um, people from the sports ecosystem. But when you think about, again, uh, varsity sports and intramural sports, it's naturally exclusive. You have to be the top 0.01% of, of athletes at, let's say, University of Kentucky to be on the varsity basketball team. 
even if you want to be on the intramurals, you still have to be fairly athletic to compete and be successful there. So if you take that same model and apply it to video games, it's even more exclusive. Rocket League only has three players, right? A basketball team might have like 20 you know, men or women on the roster, and football might have 50 to 100. Rocket League has three. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's too exclusive. So then it, it's, it's kind of like what you're talking about with the um, knockout cities is you want to make it accessible for people to kind of get up and going and so mm-hmm. that they can kind of get in and play, but then have some sort of, you know, easy to understand, difficult to master situation going on that allows you to kind of step into it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's super cool. Um, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so with that being said, is there anything else you'd like to let people know about um, before um, you tell them how to get a hold of you and what you and, and more about what you do? Yeah, um, you know, you can go visit our website at www.metarena.gg. We're excited to, to announce some really cool partnerships in the next few weeks. Uh, I also have a podcast I run called Eat for Life, and we run that every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. Uh, it's live stream on on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitch. Nice, nice. Yeah, and exactly. if anybody wants to get out of me, you know, I'm Marcus Esports Howard, both on LinkedIn and on Facebook. My middle name is not legally Esports, <laughs> but great for SEO. <laughs> some that's some good pro tip advice there, Marcus. Awesome, brother. Hey, thank you so much for your time. Uh, tell Maddie I appreciate her company as well. Uh, have a have a beautiful and glorious day, and uh, and I'll see you on the other side. Take care, Howard. I appreciate it. Thanks. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.